Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. We got Coach Ray with us today. Well, time to chat about Kilimanjaro. Yeah, welcome huh? back, man. Nice, oh, man. I'm super nice. excited to talk about this. Definitely the most physically challenging thing I've done, and mentally too. For people that have never experienced altitude, uh, it's no joke. So how high, how high do you get up there? So Kilimanjaro is a little over 19,000 feet at the peak. 19.3, I think. Yeah. You can hear about it. You can read about it. You can talk about it. But until you experience it, I mean, it's just, it's a totally different ballgame. What what elevation did you start at? So the, the gate is at 7,000. Okay. So Arusha. It's the, still pretty high. Yeah. The city of Arusha itself sits at about 4,600 feet above sea level. Mm-hmm. So people that are, you know, born and raised there, I mean, you're talking you know, centuries upon centuries of, of adaptation. Mm-hmm. And, and you see it in the porters. Like, you see it. Like, it's not a big deal for them. And 4,600 feet is no joke. Yeah. It's to be, you know, to to live and, and, and be born there. But, yeah, the gate starts at 7,000. You, you go up to 10,000 in the first day. What kind of took me by surprise was the length of the days. Mm-hmm. They were long. You're typically going about six to eight hours a day. And it's a slow pace. Yeah. Right, right. But that, like I said, that elevation is just a game changer. Well, because you look at the map or the GPS, you're like, oh, we need to go five miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, you, you see that. You go, okay, well, it's 10 kilometers. Well, what's six miles? No big deal, mm-hmm. you know. But when you're talking about the types of terrain that we're talking about, it's not just us going out for a walk, six-mile walk, you know, here in Campbell, mm-hmm. right? That's no big deal. But when you're talking about the types of terrain you're going over, mm-hmm. uh, that's really where things get to be vastly different because you're going through tropic jungle, then you go to desert style, arid, and then you get into the colder realms, and then you get up to that summit area. I think the the thing that impre- that I was proud of, most proud about was I did nasal constrict nasal breathing the entire time. Oh, okay. That's yeah. nice. And I, I thought that was one thing that I was really just for myself, I was super proud of doing that. Yeah. The altitude get, did get to me at 15,000 feet, though. That was actually going to be my next question. At what point during it did it like really like set in and kind of wear down on you a little bit? Yeah, it was day four and we were getting up to the. So day four, you go up to a 15,000 camp and then you have lunch there and then you go back down to 13,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Actually, that was day three. I take that back. So that was kind of like, whoa. It was interesting. I had no problem. And then as as we're walking towards that 15,000 camp, literally within maybe a couple hundred feet of that camp, because it sits about 15 two, mm-hmm. right when I got about 15,000 mark, it had a little bit of a dizzy spell. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit. But it cleared up. And you, you do. You just eat a quick lunch. We were there for probably about 45 minutes at most. And then we head back down to 13,000 where we camped. But then the next day when we got up, we did the next two legs, mm-hmm. which you're doing three long days in a row. And then you're supposed to do sh- two short climbs two days in a row. Then the long summit, which is really an, about an 18-hour day. Wow. That, that's a long day. It is, but I think what's interesting is, so I got outvoted because I said no. I said I wanted the two shorter days because yeah. acclimate, right? yeah. acclimate yeah, and restore, you know. And I know, Sh- well, Sherry had had problems with the 
altitude right from day one. So she was struggling, and that was my biggest concern was how she was going to handle it. Mm-hmm. But I got outvoted. It is what it is. But we took those two two short days and crammed them into one. So we actually summited on day five versus day six. And once again, getting up to the 15 kind of took it out of me again. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we got up to base camp at 15, I was kind of like sh- shortness of breath. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, was, I was feeling it. It was interesting. In the middle of the night, I almost bit it coming out to go to the restroom. Just like, yeah, just the whole disease thing. So I, I almost, yeah, I almost bailed. I almost bit it head first into the rocks. Oh, yeah, it was a real struggle. But what was interesting was starting the summit because we started at 5 a.m. So now if we had done it the, the regular way with the two short climbs, we would have had more, we would have had two shorter days where we're only hiking for like four hours. <laughs> and so we would have actually summited at midnight to get up there about 6.37 in the morning at the top. But we actually, with the way we broke it down, we started at 5 a.m. So it was about noon, 1 o'clock in the afternoon when we got to the top. Once again, the climb up, it was no big deal. Nasal breathing, I was fine. Beautiful view. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the glaciers that you see up there, it's pristine. It really is. You you look down into the crater – you know that the it's been dormant for such a long time, but you can, and there are people that actually stay down in the crater. Oh wow! Yeah, you can actually camp down there. Interesting. Yeah, we I mean we didn't do that, but you can if you want. But I'll tell you, you know, I got to the summit and you get to the sign, and when we sat down to take photos, that's when I started to pass out. Oh, yeah, shit. like I was just eyes started closing. Yeah. I I couldn't control it. It was weird. It kind of felt like being 21 and 22 again when you used to get drunk and stupid. <laughs> and like, kind of like you know where you're at, but yeah. you can't really control your body. You're, yeah. like, you're like, I don't really feel my, my body, but I know kind of idea where I'm at. It was yeah. kind of like that drunken fog. Whoa. Okay. Uh, so I did need help down. Because what's interesting is on the I, you, there's a lot of loose gravel mm-hmm. at the top. A lot. And so if I didn't have help, I would have just been like, I would have basically just rolled down the mountain. So the two port, yeah, I'll tell you, the porter system, though, unbelievable, unbelievable. So we use Thompson Trek, Thompson Safaris. We really enjoyed the company's support. They basically, there were six of us in the group. So Sherry, myself, Henry, and Mike. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we met up with a, with a father-son duo from Missouri. Mike and Aaron. So for the six of us that were climbing, they had six. They had thirty six porters. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, it's a six to one ratio. So everything from the camp managers to the cooks to everything to your guides to your personal porters, the system. It's it's just a well run machine. And without them, there's I mean, like I can't even imagine getting up there without them. Because you're not you're not really carrying much, right? Yeah, just your day pack. Yeah. You How know? much does that weigh? Ah, uh, maybe. 10 pounds, okay. 10, 12 pounds. So it's it's just loaded like with water. 40 pounds you might have to carry. No. So the day packs were supposed to be your your pack that you gave to your personal porter was supposed to be no more than 26 pounds. What I think is interesting is, is you break camp. So you're typically hiking by seven in the morning. Mm-hmm. Well, you're already starting your, your hike for the day. And the porters at the camp are cleaning up after you breaking down the camp and then zipping past you to reset your camp at your next place. So, I mean, that is so ridiculously impressive to see. Yeah. 
you know, although in the back of my head, I know it's been done before, but I really think from the gate at 7,000 to the summit, I really think with the proper training, I think I can reach that in 24 hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that's very doable. Um, is it something I would do? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see. Yeah. yeah. But my reaction to the altitude has kind of tempered that expectation too, because I really didn't expect to have that type of reaction. You, you don't know, right? Like, you- you don't know. So you get up you know, and- I think what's interesting is we actually saw a park ranger getting carried down. Yeah. There's a guy that's born and raised in the area. And uh, so they have ranger buildings along the way. And those are housed. You know, the rangers are staying there to keep an eye on the park. But uh, you'll see these gurneys, these stretchers, and they got a unis. They just got one wheel on them. And they're for people that need to be get, get down quickly, right? Yeah. And so they explained to us what they were, and not much longer after that, all of a sudden we just behind us just shoom here this gurney coming, and you know you figure it's a climber, and then you've come to find out no it's one of the rangers. So it can the altitude can can kick the shit out of anybody. Yeah, you know realistically. But I did see I know the success rate for summoning is is relatively high. Mm-hmm. Depending on the website, I saw one website where they said the summoning success for Kilimanjaro was like 40%, which I was like, eh, it seemed a little excessively low from yeah. what, from all the groups that I saw, pretty much every, a lot of people were summiting. Yeah. The key is, is not some, not just the summiting, but what condition are you summiting in? Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that's the differential because the amount of people that summited and had all their full facilities and full bearing that's the small percentage. Was anyone in your group like unfazed? No, uh, pretty much everybody was affected. Yeah. You know, Sherry needed help down. Mike <clears throat> needed help down. Yeah, I mean, I, I I needed two porters. I couldn't even feel my legs. Yeah, like, yeah. I was literally like, I couldn't feel. Like I was trying to help on the way down. I honestly, I didn't even know where I was putting my feet. A client of mine said the same thing. He's like, it got me where like. I tried to move my legs. Mm-hmm. I was trying, I was trying, but I could not move my legs. Yeah. And they just weren't working. They weren't working. Yeah. It was the trippiest shit. And, and and so when you get off the, the peak and then you get back down to base camp, but even then it was that 15,000. It felt, it felt better mm-hmm. coming down from the 19. But yeah, that night I was still kind of, hmm. I slept really well, uh, which I was kind of surprised, you know, not having backpacked or camped in, a long, long time. Yeah. You know, since high school, pretty much. Sleeping was not an issue because I was just so exhausted at the end of each day. Yeah. I mean, you're you're pretty much walking, walking. And their phrase is poly, poly, which is just slowly, slowly, mm-hmm. right? And that's not me when I hike. Like, I'm a speed hiker. Like, I go. Like, you're on a move. Boom. Yeah. yeah. I, like, this is point A. I want to get to point B and then back to point A. Yeah. So, it's completely different than what... I'm used to. So I had to. So what they do is they they took Sherry and they put her right behind the guide. And then I went behind her. So it forced me to Slow be down. in that slower pace. I'll tell you, the rest step was a huge, huge key element in being successful in the hike. And so the rest step is where you put all your weight on your down leg. Then you put your next foot up on that next plateau. And then when you go to push onto that lead foot, you then rest all your weight on that lead leg. 
Mm-hmm. So it really conserves energy. Uh, so Thompson sent us a little video email ahead of time, and that's why I saw it. And so it was kind of interesting. I tested it locally here at Quicksilver when I was hiking. I was like, oh, that shit works. Like I was like, oh, that's a, yeah. 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 And it, you, once you see the rest step, like you see it in all the other climbing videos, when you see alpine videos, you see them using it. But until you feel it, you don't know how efficient it is. Because it's not like you're doing a step up. No. Right. It's just planting, then you transfer weight, and yeah. then you stop again. Boom. And you just support. So not everything is going all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it really can help conserve energy because the way you normally hike, you're kind of lurching forward. Yeah. So everything's on all the time and you feel the heart rate increase of course you know with that muscular demand with the with the rest step that really reduces that a lot yeah that was a huge key element for me is is really learning how to utilize that step i think the one thing if i if i had to change it we did it in seven days you know summited on the fifth day i'd love to see what it would be like to expand that over two weeks Mm The same distance, but have more time at each camp to see if the body can acclimatize a little bit better. Yeah. Because you get such little, you get yeah. such little time at each camp. Yeah, it would have been interesting too if you stayed at that seven thousand foot area for like a week before too, before I, you even started climbing. Before you even started climbing, yeah, I would, I would be interested to see. I mean, I talked to Aaron, one of the guides, and I said. I would be more interested to stay at the 15,000 for a week and see what happens at 15,000. Yeah. yeah. Does my body get better at 15,000? And he said, he goes, yeah, that's we don't know Yeah, because each individual is different. So some people, yeah, it may work out for them and others, it may still be the same thing after a week. Yeah. You know, so those were all different little facets. The views were fa- were spectacular. I thought was interesting was seeing, you know, being on the Southern Hemisphere, you see constellations that we don't get here in the Northern Hemisphere, mm, you know, so, stars yeah, be, uh, so that was pretty cool. First night, I'll tell you, there was a full moon, so it was pristine. It's way different. Oh, uh, I came out of the tent at, uh, at about 3 a.m. to go use the restroom, and uh, a full moon, it was crazy, Is at 10,000 feet, like, you're like, Dude, that moon is huge. Yeah. <laughs> like you're like, I'm so much closer to the moon. It doesn't sound like it. Yeah. But visually, you're like, Jesus. I, I didn't even need my headlamp. Like I had my headlamp on, and as soon as I got out of yeah. the tent, I was like, oh my God. So I just I didn't even need just it. Turn it off. Like I could literally see where I was walking. Because there's awesome. no, I mean, there's no lights up there, too, right? There's no it's lights. Just all there's no moon. lights. It's stars. all just moonlight and stars. And then I turn around and, and there's there's Kilimanjaro. You know, you see it because you basically walk around the base of the mountain before you summit. That's basically what you're doing. You're going up and you're going up, but you're coming around the base. So you start on the western side of the mountain. And then as you're going, you go to the eastern side of the mountain before you start your summit. And so, you you know, it's cool over the over the nights to get the different perspective of the mountain at each stop and to see the different ecosystems was, was pretty interesting. But that first night, I'll tell you that that was beautiful. I was just like, wow. I stood there. I was just like, this is incredible. <laughs> Sounds serene. It, it is. It is. It is It is incredible. You know? Yeah. I don't know if, I, if I'd go back and do it again. I We met somebody on the plane that this that he was going back for a second time. Okay. Mm. 
You know, so Henry was chatting him up for a while. We saw him out on the route. It was the age demographic was typically younger. We did have, well, Mike in our group uh, was older, sixty two. He was he handled it really Mike well. Sixty two? No, not Mike. The the oh, father, the father and son. 62. No, Mike's fifty one. Mike is like, no, Mike's fifty one. No, the other, the, the father and son from the father and son from Missouri. Are, and what's interesting, so he's a hunter. So he okay. travels the world hunting. And so when I was talking to him the first the first day, you know, I asked him. I said, "Are you are you do you track or do you wait?" He goes, "No, I'm an I'm a tracker." So I'm like, "Oh, you're an active hunter." Yeah. And so you know, he's doing mountain hiking, not to this elevation, but what was interesting because you have to take your uh, your resting heart rate and your and your oxygen readings every night. Mm-hmm. So they do take that your pulse oximeter readings. Yeah. And uh, his pulse oximeter readings were by far the best. Yeah. Mm. And, and and I credit that to the fact that he's constantly just he's an active hunter. Yeah, like he doesn't sit and wait for the prey to come to him. He goes and finds it. And he's always on this type of terrain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, and uh, so that was interesting. His even at uh, fifteen thousand, I think his pulse was like seventy two, seventy three. Oh, which was Whoa. I mean at but that elevation really because your heart good. is yeah. pumping faster to mm-hmm. you know because you have less oxygen, oxygen right. Yeah. So your resting heart rate elevates naturally. Mm-hmm. But he was testing out at 72. I was like, damn, Whoa. hot damn. I was like, holy shit. Uh, so I, out of all the people, he handled the summiting the best out of everybody. And his oxygen reading was pretty high, like 91, 90, which was really good. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. So if you had to go back and like train for this, do you think it would be more hiking? Just doing different types of terrain? Or would it be... Would you do some stuff in the gym that'd be different? No, I think it's just more just hiking. You know, I think, and I really didn't do that all that much more hiking than normal, to be honest yeah. with you. In fact, Sherry, I think, would be frustrated with the fact that I didn't do, I did actually very little. Mm. Uh, I wasn't worried about my feet. I'm barefoot all the time, so my feet weren't an issue. Leg strength was an issue. Going downhill is basically eccentric training, mm-hmm. which I do a lot of anyways. Um, so the going downhill, I was probably the best condition for that out of the entire group where everybody else was feeling that. I loved it. I was like, I actually got yelled at for going off the trail because on the way down, there were some routes that I thought was completely inefficient that the that the scout, that the guide was taking. Yeah. So I was all like, bing, 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 bing. So I'd go off the route, boom, 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 boom. And so they actually called me the mountain goat because I was just going from, from, and I wasn't, I didn't use my trekking poles. Yeah. I mean, okay. I took them, but I didn't, uh, the only day I used them was the last day because it actually was rainy and it was That's so slippery. muddy. Yeah, it was yeah. so yeah. muddy. That was the only day. Everything else, you know, I, I trust my hands and my feet, oddly enough, more than I do a stick. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> ironically <laughs> enough. But in this case, you know, even Penda, the lead guide, was kind of like, hey, you need to use your sticks. And I told him, I said, dude, no. I said, I trust my hands and my feet more. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know where my weight distribution is. I know where that's going. Yeah. So, yeah, I did get kind of chastised to make sure that I stayed. Because as we got a little bit higher, more technical, you know, it was like, hey, make sure you stay in line. Don't have, you know, because we don't want anybody else to see where you're going mm-hmm. and then take your lead and get hurt. Right. I said, okay, I, I understand that. You know, so I was kind of out of line there. So then at what elevation... Like, you know, you needed help getting back down. But at what elevation did let your legs go, boom, I'm back? Yeah, right at 15,000 going down. for the for, From 15,000, you go down to 10,000 on day six. That, uh, I was fine. 
Yeah. I was completely fine going down. No big deal. And then uh, you go you go from 10,000, you camp at 10,000, and then you f- the gate was technically at 6,000 feet. Okay. So that was, uh, and I said, the last day that was raining, and that rain was going up the mountain, became snow and ice. Um, so we you take crampons, and yeah. I was kind of anticipating using them, and I was really kind of disappointed that I didn't get to use them. <laughs> yeah. All right, because... The temperature-wise, I think the top of the mountain was maybe 20, 25 degrees. Okay. okay. Shorts and t-shirt weather for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's, yeah, like these, yeah. yeah. Like most, like Penda and Aaron, they were like, are you warm enough? And I'm like, dude, not an issue. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny because they kept saying, oh, what are you from Minnesota? And I was like, no, I'm from Buffalo. It's even worse. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like this is not a big deal for me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're like, because... Everybody else, they're like, no, normally everybody else is layering up and I'm layering down. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm taking layers off. I definitely overpacked, but I guess in, in hindsight, you know, better to overpack than underpack, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the the gloves, I, I didn't need them. I mean, I just used the finger liners, the real thin liners. That's all I, I needed the entire time, okay. even at the summit. Temperature-wise, not a big deal. The cold gear from Under Armour worked perfectly fine. Yeah, cold wasn't an issue. It was just, well, you don't want to get wet. You want to make sure you stay dry. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest thing, mm-hmm. is making sure that you're staying dry. Uh, the last day down, I got wet because I didn't really care because we were finishing up anyways. Yeah. So, but if, yeah, on the way up, we, I was actually, it's interesting because you go through so much mist mm-hmm. at the start. And so it was a light rain and mist. So I kind of, I had a poncho on, but I took that off pretty relatively quickly because you start getting really hot Yeah. on your way up. Yeah, because you don't want your feet to get soaked either. No, if he were warm, uh, shout out to Vivo Barefoot. I'll tell you, the hiking boots that I got from them, fantastic. Great hiking boots. Really enjoyed them. Just them and a pair of wool socks. I was yeah. good. Yeah. That's all I needed, you know, the temperature-wise. And, and yeah, my feet stayed dried. So that, was, that wasn't an issue there. Okay. The food was good. Uh, Edison was our camp chef. He was cooking it up. I think what's interesting is at 15,000 feet, I did not want to eat, though. I literally mm-hmm. did not want to eat. I had to kind of force myself to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edison made soup every night, which is really the first night we got to 15,000, I didn't eat at all. I just wanted to sleep. Yeah. Like, I knew because I knew we had taken day four and day five and plugged them together. Mm-hmm. And so right when I got to camp, I was like, dude, I know I'm going right to sleep because I knew we were taking off at 5 a.m. And it was already coming up to about 5 p.m. So I knew we had a little less than 12 hours before we were going to start hiking again. And so food was not on my mind. Rest was. Like, I wanted sleep. Yeah. And so I know Penda came in and said, hey, you need to eat. I said, no, I need to sleep. You know, I got to get my reserves in here. Breakfast. Uh, it was it was really difficult for me to eat. Like I did uh-huh. not want to. That's interesting. Like I saw food and my brain just said no. Yeah. Like it was just like no. Yeah. And so it was kind of like I trying to force choke down a piece of toast and and they made this local porridge, mm-hmm. uh, which was pretty tasty. But honestly, by day four, I was over it. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, okay, you know, like, yeah. But they gave us dried fruit and some other stuff to to help us along the way. And of course, water, mm-hmm. making sure you're drinking plenty of water. Mm-hmm. So you're typically drinking three to four liters a day. Okay. Okay. 
making sure you're fully hydrated. That was the thing. So you're constantly as you're as you're trekking, you know, the lead the lead guide would stop and say, "Okay, sip." You know, making sure that you're constantly cool. drinking. Like you full on stop and you okay. to make sure that you're drinking and drinking and drinking. What about anything to take to handle the elevation better? I know there is stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we took our medications. I mean, yeah. we went to the local travel clinic. You know, they gave us the altitude medication. And I, I, I took that all the way up until the summiting day. Yeah. And, yeah, like it's, even that, it still didn't kind of do much for you. Do yeah. much for me. Yeah. You know, it was, it, and then, you, but you kind of wonder, would it have been worse if I hadn't taken it? Yeah, maybe. Like there's that thought in your head of how much worse would this be if I hadn't taken the altitude medication, mm-hmm. right? If you're gonna go climb something like that, I think you know definitely take it just to be on the safe side. Yeah, I mean, side you're not getting any side effects really. The one thing we took that we didn't need was malaria pills. Mm. I mean, because you're at higher elevation anyways, mosquitoes really aren't around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of that was a waste. I was not thrilled about that but it is what it is yeah uh and when you're up on the mountain yeah insects you're like i don't even yeah yeah so i got a question for you then so psychologically what was your how much did your psychological aspect or fortitude change as you were going along for me it was it was just telling myself every step i take gets me closer Mm mm-hmm and I, and that that for me is is the thing. It's just every step you take. I know Mike, the, I, I Aaron, sorry, the one, uh, the son from the father and son duo. He asked me on day four. He said, "Is any of this difficult for you?" And I said, "Physically, no." I said, "It's not uh, physically. This isn't an issue." I said, "Just because I hadn't hit that altitude yet, right? I hadn't right. experienced that yet. Yeah. But as far as terrain and and handling it physically." Honestly, piece of cake. Mm-hmm. But mentally, it was just such a long day. Mm-hmm. We're just not used to hiking like that. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, seven, eight-hour days, who does that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, unless you're doing the PCH, you know, or the PCT, or mm-hmm. if you're on the East Coast, you do the Appalachian Trail, right? Mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean, who really walks that much over different mm-hmm. types of terrain, you know, X amount of days in a row? We just don't do that. Yeah. So, yeah, fatigue-wise, you're just like – you get to the point where it's kind of like you you revert back to being a kid again with traveling with your parents in the car. <laughs> where you're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, it's kind of funny. I, I come to realize that the, the, the guides were full of shit. Because mm. the guides do that whole thing of, oh, we're, just, we're almost there. Yeah. I hate that. And you're like, no, you're full of shit. You're not all this <laughs> so don't tell me I'm almost there because then you're setting me up for shit, right? Yeah, yeah. Tell me it's a long ways away. Yeah. Give me the worst case scenario. Yeah. If I say, I mean, I'd rather have somebody tell me, oh, we're four hours away. And then two hours later, oh, we're here. Not just, oh, it's right around the corner. (laughs) Off. (laughs) (laughs) You know, three hours later, I'm like, I thought you said it was right around the corner. Mm -hmm. You know? Well, I think what psychologically is on some of the camps, you would see them. And it's that whole Vegas optical illusion effect where when you're in Vegas, you see a casino and it's right there. But that right there is a mile and a half, right? Yeah. yeah. Right? And so same thing here. You see the camp, but then you realize, oh, shit, we got to go down and then back up. Mm-hmm. Right? Or we're going down around over here and then coming back around to get to the camp. Yeah. So, yeah, you can visually see the camp, 
but you don't realize that you got three to four miles and then elevation gain and de cell and then de elevating in between. Yeah. And that's what psychologically just kind of can yeah. wear on you. Yeah. So yeah, it was just that whole constant time of just telling, you know, and, and, and just saying it out loud to people sometimes too, mm-hmm. saying it to the group, Hey, every step, every step gets you closer. Mm-hmm. Every step is going to get you just to that next point. And, uh, I think that that for me is is really the the defining thing there is just that meant that fortitude to be able to tell yourself hey, just keep going just keep pushing just keep pushing. Good. I feel like that's probably where the hardest part would be because I, I had a yeah. who did Kilimanjaro yeah. uh, four years ago, mm-hmm. and he did over the course of two weeks actually. Oh, did he? Yeah, and he he had a great time. Yeah, yeah. Fun. I didn't hear anything about him having troubles, yeah. but he, he's someone who does a lot of like high altitude mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But I feel like that would be the most challenging part is trying to figure out like, okay, where am I at mentally? How yeah. much fortitude do I have? Am I mentally or psychologically strong enough to like push through the hard shit? Because the, the physical fatigue, that's something that's, it happens. Yeah. But like the mental fatigue is something that's really, really hard to overcome, I feel like. No, it is. It is. And that was the thing is, yeah, that the doing that same climb over seven days versus two weeks, world of difference, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Massive difference. So that's why if I went back, like, it'd be interesting to do it over two weeks and see how much, how different is, how different is it, right? Because then you're, you're, you're going in, in shorter segments, yeah. right? Yeah. And you have more time to sit at different elevations and get used to it. Mm-hmm. Same time, it's two weeks on a mountain. It is still two weeks yeah. on a mountain, right? Yeah. I'll tell you, I've never smelled so bad in my life. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Seven days of not showering. Oh, my God. I Showering was probably the best thing you've ever That shower, I got back to, to the hotel. I'll tell you, it was, oh, it was a half hour. It was a half Sorry, Sherry. You, know, you got she, next. You know, she, Sherry, Sherry went first, and it was... Uh, it was interesting. The the hotel that they took us to after the climb was was fan, was beautiful. It was fantastic. The shower was just phenomenal. It was huge. But I was like, oh, this is the greatest shower I've ever taken in my <laughs> oh, life. Yeah. Oh, hands, it was hands. it was yeah. it was yeah half hour. You know, just standing there. I just didn't want it to stop. Yeah. Oh, in a damn bath, <laughs> man. Shoot. Yeah, yeah. I think what's interesting from a physical standpoint mm-hmm. when you do a climb like this, it, it really challenges. A lot of the limited movement perspective that a lot of the strength and conditioning community has, in my opinion, mm-hmm. you know, we, we know the people out there that are telling you that only a certain amount of range of motion is necessary to train. You haven't been on a mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. If you tell me that I only need to train this much range of motion, your ass needs to go on a mountain mm-hmm. and your ass will be vastly different in the mindset. Totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, because, yeah. yeah, I know I'm short. And I got the short femurs, but I did more single leg pistols than I've ever done did in my life, mm-hmm. because you have such gaping strides to take, mm-hmm. and, and huge. You know, you got this rock that you got. Okay, my my best foothold is up here, and so that hip mobility really comes into play. Mm-hmm. It's a huge necessity, and, and it's a challenge. You know, like we've always talked about, you know, we're so used to being walking on flat surfaces yeah, that we just don't get challenged by different stimuluses of terrain. Yeah. And when you're hiking on a mountain, yeah, you get all that. Mm-hmm. Like you're getting that frontal plane and transverse motion at the ankle and, and the, the tibial rotation at the knee. 
Like you get that. Like there's no way to avoid it. If you're not ready for it and if you don't prepare for it, you're going to start to feel the results of it. Yeah. You know, you know, you'll hear a couple of the people going, oh, my knee's kind of, you know, I'm feeling it. Right. And so, you know, as you're hearing that from some of your group, you're thinking, okay, well, it's because you just don't train in those positions and those angles. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was amazed at how, how, how many times I was basically doing a single leg pistol mm-hmm. to get from one step to the other, you know. And there was a stretch called the Bronco Wall mm-hmm. uh, where you're basically doing bouldering. Oh, wow. Yeah, you are, you are doing some bouldering. They have a section that's called Kiss the Wall because you got to go sideways and you're basically face first into the into the stone. Like a slab climb. Yeah, kind of, yeah. You know, and and when they first described it, I was kind of like, well, you didn't, t- you didn't tell us to bring any carabiners, mm-hmm. so we're not clipping in. So, you know, I tend to have that worst case scenario, prepare for the worst and everything else will, feel, will be good after that. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of thinking in my mind, well, how wide is that foothold going to be? Yeah. You know, where if you're kissing the wall where you got to lean into the, into the rock, you know, what are we talking about here? Right. And, um, you know, I mean, do are people falling off this thing? Because mm-hmm. if you are, you know, you're about 500 feet off the ground if you're going to fall. Right. So, but yeah, the kiss the wall part, you know, like I said, you set something up in your mind of, okay, this is going to be, this may be super hard. Foot position may be really small where you got to kind of, where you have to externally rotate out mm-hmm. and basically do a Charlie Chaplin walk. Yeah. But it didn't, it wasn't like that. But I mean, you're still kind of leaning in, but the bouldering was fun. Okay. Well, especially since you guys both have rock climbing experience. Yeah. Right? And so that was the fun part. You know, Sherry yeah. was all like, well, I, I dig this. You know, so you're, you're kind of, you're using, you know, people are typically using their trekking poles and then you get to a certain point on the wall and then the guy tells you, okay, put your trekking poles away. You need your hands. You know, oh. you, you got to, yeah, your hand holds are really key there. Okay. So yeah, you're getting into some funky positions. To get up. So does it. this make you want to do something bigger or something more technical? Or, or yeah, I, I do, you know, just out of sheer curiosity. I mean, uh, on this continent, you're looking at Denali, right? About 24,000 feet. Yeah, that one's much more technical. Way more technical. Like gonna, so, you'd have to like build up to that, like do Mount Rainier. Well, that's also like stuff ice, where, ice but ice that's ice. where I'd have to take alpining courses. Yeah, right? yeah. So if I go up to Shasta, you mm-hmm. know, you can go during the winter timing and get those courses set up. So that's something where, yeah, I would have to be a much more technical climber in that mm-hmm. regards, right? You know, that's where you're using your carabiners and you and your ice picks and your and your crampons. Yeah. You know, but that is something I, I just out of sheer curiosity, I think I'd like to do just to see. I think that would you to have more time to spend on the mountain. Yeah, for sure. You know, with your guides. I don't know if you'd have the full support system like we had available to us over in Kilimanjaro. Like I said, I mean, that was a great support system. Yeah. But yeah, I think out of sheer curiosity, there's still that part of my mind that says, okay, was that issue at 19,000 feet more of an aberration or is it really a thing for me? Yeah. You know, even getting back on the plane, coming back, I still felt the results of the altitude. You know, I mean, yeah, the airplane cabin is pressurized, but your body still knows it's not the same pressure as down at sea level or where we live at. So, you know, the plane was at about 40,000, 41,000 feet of elevate at altitude. 
on the way back. And and I did have some bloody noses. You know, I still I did have some issues yeah. there on the way back. Sinuses plugging up. So I was still feeling the effects even two days because we got done on Monday and we flew out on Wednesday, which at the time when the airline postponed the flight, I was kind of annoyed, but it actually turned out to be the best thing because I can't imagine because we were originally scheduled to come off the mountain on that Monday morning Mm. and jump on the plane Monday evening. And let me tell you, I I can't even imagine. They would have been like, do you need help? Yeah. Because it was just so tiring. Like we got to the hotel and you just you were exhausted. Like you just shower and sleep. Yeah. Like let me shower, sleep, and eat. Because like all that adrenaline probably just yeah went away. Yeah. And so it was interesting. The Mike and Aaron they had to jump right. They got a day room, mm-hmm. so they were scheduled to leave at like five o'clock in the evening. So we got back to the we got to the hotel at about eleven o'clock, and they so they had to shower get freshened up and then basically just head back to the airport and they were on their flight back to yeah so you didn't do the safari then at all no i was no i I needed to recover Mm. i i just needed to recover we talked about it Mm. but no i i just it was seven hard days mentally and physically yeah uh yeah i needed to to just do nothing and just recover Okay. And yeah, it was, it felt good. But even on that Wednesday coming back, it was still pretty fatiguing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot. I mean, shoot, man. Cause that, what is that? Like a 30 hour trip? Yeah. I mean, it was six hours from, from, you know, Arusha to Doha. Then we had a nine hour layover in Doha and then 16 hours from Doha to SFO. Mm-hmm. I mean, luckily we paid for the business class. So that was huge. I can't, I can't even imagine flying economy on the way back. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no way. I would have killed my own. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. That's where so. you just don't take a shower before you get on. And <laughs> <laughs> like, clear the way. Uh, I'll over myself. <laughs> it was It's kind of funny because the airport at Arusha is so small. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's kind of funny to see all these people just packing in to take their flights out. Yeah, but most people there at the airport were either doing Kilimanjaro or they were there to do safaris. Yeah. But I think the most of them, I think most of the people were there to do the safaris. So I think, yeah, the fewer people were there to do Kilimanjaro. I said the demographic was typically younger. Mm-hmm. We did see a guy on the mountain. He was 72. Dang. Yeah, I think awesome. I think he made it up. I, mean, I, don't, I don't I didn't see him on the way down, but I think he made it to the top. But yeah, for the most part it was a younger demographic, but That's awesome. It was a life-changing experience. I think it's something that I think you try it just to see what it's about. Our guide Penda, like he was saying, you know, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. And that's very true. And so I think it's for me it's it still leaves me that little bit of curiosity. You know, there are other things that I do want to do. You know, Antarctica is still on my bucket list. You know, but to, to, to be able to hit an elevation that I think very few people will ever experience, I think was was unique. Yeah, man. Um, well, when been up is like 14. Well, you did, yeah. On your honeymoon, you yeah, were rock climbing around 14,000 feet. So that's the most effortful thing I've done at a high elevation. Yeah. I was okay at that height, but I don't know. Like, hey, next year. 900 feet, maybe everything changes. Yeah. And that's why I think is unique is because in your mind, you're like, it's just a, what's, yeah. what's this 900 feet? Like what can happen? Right. Yeah. And that was my mindset too, is like, I'm at 14,000. I'm like, I'm feeling great. Mm-hmm. 
oh, we're going to, you know, there's our camp at 15,000. We're going to have lunch. And then all of a sudden, as a, just as I'm getting to that precipice and just getting that 15,000, just all of a sudden, boom. I was just like, holy shit. You're walking. Then all of a sudden, you're just like, you got to catch yourself because you're like, oh, holy shit. Did I just get dizzy right there? You're like, I did. It's like, you're like, wow. It has to be how much yeah, it, it, it is a little scary because like it's so Probably. sudden. It's so it was so sudden, and that's what I think is the unique part about it was it just came out of clear blue. Mm. You know, where everybody else in the group was already experiencing stuff, and mm -hmm. I and I hadn't. So that's why in my mind I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a piece of cake. Yeah. Mm. But then to get to the fifteen thousand, and also yeah. just have it literally punch me like a freight train. Crazy. You know, just and then hang out at fourteen ninety nine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know, like I can hang out at that fourteen thousand, and it was it was no big deal. Thirteen thousand, fourteen thousand feet, but who cares? No big deal, right? I mean, you figure Mount Whitney's about fourteen thousand, right? Yeah, that's the highest one besides Denali. Besides yeah. Denali, right? Whitney, I could do it in a heartbeat. Like I don't have any issues doing that. Like uh, the altitude thing is not going to be an issue for me if I decide to do that. But to to get past that fifteen thousand barrier, I asked Aaron too, one of the guides. I said, "How many times could you do Kilimanjaro?" He said, "I could handle this three times a month." I was like, "No what? shit." He's like, "Yeah." He goes, "If I go up, come down." He goes, "Give me about a day or two of rest, and I'll be right back up." Damn, jeez. So the way the company rotates it though is you, the guides only get one run a month. Yeah. So if he did want to do another run, he'd have to go find. He'd have to go to another company. And do that run, but you know when him and I were talking, he said he goes. But if I ju if it was just me and I and I had to to go back up, he goes. Yeah, I could handle this three times a month. So what did he look like physically? Was he just super lean? Yeah, super lean, short. Uh, I think Aaron. I mean, I'm five three. Aaron was probably about five foot. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, but he's carrying a pack of yeah. you know 26, 20, uh, 30 pounds, and you know, and he even took Sherry's pack on too when she was having issues. Mm -hmm. And it was, he's fine. Cool. Like as it was yeah. cool as a cucumber, you know, and a lot of these porters, they're carrying stuff on their heads, you know, it's just, so you're seeing, you know, like what we talked about DJ with the neck training, the jaw training, right? Well, in Arusha, a lot of people are walking around with stuff balancing on their heads. And so you see these porters, they're just up and down the mountain, you know, they got packs on and they got something on top of their head and they're hauling ass. They fly up there too. They're right? hauling ass. Yeah. And sneakers. <laughs> regular sneakers like uh, like I'm looking they have hiking boots on some of them had some hiking boots but most of them had just regular sneakers there were a couple female porters most of them were the men but uh, there were a couple female uh, porters and you'll see some taking breaks you know they, they still stop and take breaks but they'll cover that distance so if you got a six hour hike they'll cover that in three if not less that's impressive oh it is it is super you know impressive. And some of them at some points are, are kind of running, well, you know, like a light jog. Like they like they pass you and they're just gone. Like you just a few minutes later, they're just out of your out of your view. And it is it is a really impressive to see that adaptability and to see that skill set. Mm -hmm. I think is is really mind boggling when you see it in person. And they're happy, like they're just you know they're just chumming along. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, but for the money that they get paid, I'll tell you, it's because Arusha is such still in many respects a third world country, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I think the yearly average income is about 4,000 US. 
crazy. Yeah, that's about that's crazy. That's you know? Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's not a lot. Yeah. It's not a lot yeah, at all. Yeah. We pulled our money together for the majority of the porters. You got, you know, you pay your guides, mm-hmm. your lead guide and your two assistant guides. Then you pay Edison the chef and his two waiters. So you you tip them all individually, plus your personal porters. Mm-hmm. So my personal porter was G, uh, his name was Jeter. So we paid them separately, but then we all pool your money together to pay the other porters, you know, the camp manager and the other ones. And I think that ended up being like fifty bucks a head. Okay. Well, I mean, so I'm thinking to myself, I'm going, holy shit, these guys are doing this for fifty dollars American for seven days. For that's seven days, crazy. Damn. For seven days, but to them, that's a lot of money. Right, right. Because. That's a lot of money to them. For them, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Right? That's that's what I think is the craziest thing. It it kind of puts it into perspective of how good we have it. Yeah. Like, these guys are are literally climbing up the side of a mountain, carrying shit on their heads, carrying shit on their backs, setting up the camp, breaking it down, doing all this. And what's interesting is the porters eat. They eat what you don't eat, what Edison made for us, whatever we didn't eat. The the porters had to eat it, or they ate it. Oh. But the majority of them, every meal, they do what they take maize flour, corn flour, and they boil it with water, and they create this. I guess kind of like it's, it's kind of like a mashed potato type texture. Mm-hmm. We actually, Mike Henry and I actually went into the mess tent to see them making food for themselves. Isn't that like a superfood? That maize flour. I guess so because that's all they eat. Okay. Hmm. That's all they eat the whole time. So they make this huge pot of it, and that's that's what they're eating. Probably just makes you appreciate everything much more. Oh yeah, for sure. Like people are here arguing about exercises on Instagram. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's 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 what makes me laugh is because well, you know, and and we know that typically most people in the United States are the least traveled Mm -hmm. out of any industrialized country. We are the least traveled. And and that is a frustrating thing, yeah. but and, and typically when we travel, we we tend to go to other countries that are kind of at our standards. Yeah. But when you go, that's why I encourage people to go to countries that aren't at our standards. You know, to 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 go to a country where yeah they make four thousand in a year, right? I mean, you're talking three hundred plus dollars a month. That's what you're making U.S. And to still see how these how people live life through that, you know, and the things that they do, and it does, it puts you in a perspective where you're like, a lot of the shit that we argue about here, you're kind of like waste of time. Yeah, it's pointless. Pointless. Pointless, completely. Pointless, right? And so that's why you know when we go on social media, I don't acknowledge. People can say what they want. I don't. I don't give a shit. I don't. I just don't care. Yeah. You know, so and I'm not going to get caught up in that stuff because it is, it's pointless, it's useless. Mm-hmm. You have your opinion. If you don't like what I post, then don't like what I post. I don't give a shit. Yeah. You know, it's obviously not for you. Maybe it'll be for you at a later time. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Maybe it never will. It is what it is. Yeah. Right. But yeah, when you go to these places and you see what else is out there and how they're living, you're like, Phew. yeah. I think what's interesting is so. Over in Arusha, they, uh, taxis are like motorcycles. Yeah. So you like if you flag one down, you don't know if the guy's drunk or not. Yeah, because oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Aaron was kind of explaining it to us. He goes, he goes, don't take those. Mm. He goes because you don't know if you're getting on the back of someone that's 
shit faced. Damn. Because they'll they'll they actually kind of rent those bikes from the owner. Oh. And so they they have to make a certain amount of money each day to cover the cost of the bike. Mm-hmm. And then he said a lot of times these guys with the money on top of that, they'll just turn around and buy booze. And so they'll be sitting there drinking by the roadside and all of a sudden you want to catch a motorcycle taxi. Mm-hmm. Oh shit, you may be on the back of somebody's that's just three sheets to the wind. Damn. Do it early in the day. Yeah, yeah. You know, hopefully that makes it. But the reason the, when you go to these hotels and these these resorts, they've got their own drivers. Oh, I'm sure. Okay. So yeah, you're you're not dependent on that. But yeah, it, it is. It, it when you see the way the 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 villages and the towns are set up, it is. It's a it's a very eye opening thing, and you see uh, how happy a lot of these people are with with such little stuff that they have yeah you know uh and then we come over here and we bitch about a lot of shit that just frankly isn't just even worth bitching about mm-hmm. a lot of times we have it pretty good yeah we got it pretty damn good. we got it pretty damn I don't think good people realize that but you yeah. know, but people don't know what they don't know to a degree yeah there's things to be thankful for things to be appreciative of but if that's not your lifestyle, if you, if you live a life of excess, then that's what you're accustomed to. Yeah. So yeah. Then, then you complain a bitch about everything that you wish you had or whatever the case mm-hmm. is. If you go somewhere else, that style of living is different. It's just it's just different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you see people that are probably, you know, you see some of these shops and you're just all like, oh, my God. You know, butcher shops. Mm-hmm. You know, and what's interesting is so the meat's just hanging and it's, you know, and it's. And what's interesting over there, each butcher shop is different because one butcher shop will only do beef. Mm-hmm. One butcher shop will only do chicken and pork, right? But you're literally like, oh, I would never buy meat from that place. Like, you're just all like, eesh, mm-hmm. you know? And then when we went down to downtown Arusha, it's like for me, like when I, I love to go outside my hotel, bookmark my hotel. I know where it is. And then I'll pick a direction and I'll just walk, you know, and, and I've, I've been okay doing that. I haven't walked in any, I'm sure I've been in areas where I guess I shouldn't be, <laughs> but I've been fine with it. But this was a city where I was like, I don't know if I do that. Like, I, I'm, I'm good. Like I, we saw Omar Gaddafi, his picture on some, some vans. Like, I thought that was pretty interesting. What? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. That's Omar Gaddafi. You know, I thought that was pretty interesting. On a couple of vans, they supported him. Some people there supported him. But yeah, it was a unique trip. Uh, it was well worth it. And for people that want to maybe have even a slight inkling, I, I think you you got to try it. You know, I would definitely recommend taking a longer time. So if you have access to doing it over 10 days or 14 days, I would recommend doing it for a longer period. Yeah. But uh, to do it shorter, like a six-day, five-day, that's really, I think, pushing it for a lot of people. Especially if you're not used to it. You, it'll yeah. probably kick the shit out of you. Mm. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe we'll see what happens next. Uh, maybe another mountain or, yeah, like I said, Antarctica is my, still on my bucket list. Well, Denali is 24,000. You'd probably have to do, like, Everest Base Camp before that, even. Because I think that's lower. So, Everest, the first Everest Base Camp is, at like, 17. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it'd be curious just to do that, yeah. just to see how you do or I do at seventeen thousand. Mm-hmm. You're right between that wheel, right in that middle wheelhouse. Like I think you're unique just to do that. And I think after seventeen, I think the next camp, camp two, I think is a twenty-two or twenty-three thousand. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I know the last one, I think, is a 27 or 28. That last camp before you hit the roof. But yeah, I think 17 and 23 or 24. But that's a big jump that's from 17 to 23 yeah, to 24. Yeah. Oh, no. Like that would take you a while to get Right? That. Yeah. Because the terrain there is the terrain's, yeah. way different yeah. from what I've seen. Yeah. So the gap there, I was like, that's a hell of an elevation climb. Yeah. From 17 up to there. But yeah, even sitting at 17, wow. it'd be, it'd be, I think it'd be unique just to sit there for a week and see, see how you handle it. Yeah. You know? Uh, the sun was definitely another thing I, I kind of underestimated too. Oh, so yeah. yeah, my face I couldn't touch my upper lip for like two days. Oh, it was so sore. Like oh, and cracked and painful. Oh my god, for like two days because you're just expelling so much snot. Mm-hmm. And so Vaseline for sure. Yeah. Like you gotta just constantly just keep. But even then, between the wind and the sun, it was just like I said for. I couldn't touch my upper lip for like two days. Yeah. It was so. Did you sore. wear a hat or anything? I had a sun hat. Okay. Yeah, I did. I had a sun hat, and it's still, still. it's still like, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. My face was yeah. You can. It's kind of funny because you see people that are that are mountaineering, and you see them at the top, and you you know they they take their goggles off, and you see those oh, raccoon, defi- raccoon yeah. eyes. Yeah, like you can't you see it, but until you experience how sore that is to your face, <laughs> yeah, the like you're like ah, like you're touching your face. You're like holy shit, it hurts to touch my face. Yeah, yeah, you know. But yeah, and then your upper lip because you're just constantly expelling because yeah. you're not stopping to blow your nose. You're just blowing snot rockets the whole time <laughs> as you're walking because you you just you expel and you walk. You mm-hmm. just keep constantly in motion. But it was just rubbing so raw. And it was, it was, it was brutal. That doesn't sound pleasant. No, <laughs> and even the S, even the SPF, like oh, you yeah. just, oh, yeah. you're so much closer to the sun. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You burn hella quick. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. You get so burnt so quick. <laughs> oh yeah. But yeah, just that it was just once again stuff that we kind of just don't think about when we live just a little above sea level. Yeah, it's true. You know, but when you close that gap. Even by 13, 14,000 feet, that makes a world of difference in temperature, sun exposure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a game changer. It's awesome. Thanks for sharing all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome, man. Uh, like I said, it was, a, it was a fun experience. It was taxing. It was grueling. Sense of accomplishment is definitely there. And so we'll see what happens after this. All right. So it'll be a while till I do another mountain. Yeah. I'll, I'll put it that way. I'll put it that way. I think the next. I know the next thing I have on my list before even Antarctica is bobsledding and luge. Oh, okay. that'd be cool. Yeah, so that you can do in Park City, Utah. Okay, nice. Oh, so yeah. that's uh, that's that's my next one. Exactly. I think that's yeah, because that's something I've always wanted to do: luge, skeleton, and and uh, bobsled. Okay. Yeah. So you they've got groups. You can that that Park City, Utah from the Olympics setup is still there. They still oh, okay. use that. Cool. Oh, dang. So yeah. So you can go like December, January, and still use that stuff. And they'll teach you how to. I guess they teach you. So they they'll start you at like a third at the bottom third of the track, just so you kind of get a feel. Mm-hmm. And then depending on how you handle it, they may let you go higher up the track to gain more speed. Okay. Yeah. Sounds legit. Yeah, you know, I, so, yeah. Ever hey, since yeah. I was a kid, ever since I've seen that, I've always been like, I will do that one of these days. So. Yeah, yeah I think it would be a lot of fun. They have a dry summer run. Uh-huh. One run, but it's on rails. But yeah. yeah, like I want the frozen actual. The whole experience. I want the whole experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I think that'd be some fun shit, so. Well, thank you for joining us for this podcast. And until next episode, be good to each other. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and whatever platform you're on, either Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, please, if you could leave a review, we'd appreciate that. If you have any questions that we can answer for you, be sure to leave those in the comments also. If you're looking for more information on our education, our products, please go to www.stickmobility.com. And also hit that subscribe button to that YouTube channel. And don't forget our live Instagram classes three times a week. If you want to join in, grab your sticks and hit that 45-minute class. Yes.